welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Nothing But Trouble. In Nothing But Trouble, Chris Thorne, played by Chevy Chase, is caught by the cops making a traffic violation in an extremely small town. Instead of receiving a ticket, he and the other three passengers in the car are brought before the judge, played by Dan Aykroyd, who holds them prisoner in a booby-trapped mansion of horrors. Written by Dan Aykroyd, directed by Dan Aykroyd, and released on February 15th, 1991. You already told me, but you've you've seen nothing but trouble before. Like a lot of times, yes. A lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> Why a lot of times? I don't. It was always on cable, I guess. And I remember watching this movie in bits and pieces because it would be on. Because you couldn't take the whole thing on. <laughs> I truly don't know why and then because i was confused by this movie when i was younger i was like what's going on but i still watched it and then the only reason why i really liked this movie when i was younger was because of the digital underground song (laughs) and that was like my favorite part so i would watch for that part okay i mean you can i can watch the video yes yeah or or like by the tape or cassette or something yeah but i liked <laughs> watching it for some reason <laughs> but it doesn't even have the tupac verse until like the end credits <laughs> I know. so um i i don't think i've ever seen this oh wow i thought that maybe i have but i'm a- after watching this movie i know i would have remembered it and i think i was confusing it with dr detroit so i i know i've seen dr detroit but I don't remember much about it. This, this, I don't think we ever watched. And I forget if it's rated R or not, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe my, we thought it was going to be too scary, or maybe my parents just, like, heard the reviews and thought it was going to be total garbage, and they just decided to skip it. Um, I, I mean, it is kind of marketed as a comedy horror, but it's not scary at all all even to like a 10 year old me but yeah i don't know i, I mean, mean I was... it was it was toned down right it yeah. was specifically toned down they wanted to go farther with it but then the studio said nope you have to make it pg-13 ish um so that it's marketable yeah but yeah the intention is to have a comedy horror but i think what we're learning here is that when doing a comedy horror and putting the comedy first, the horror almost never works. Whereas if you go the opposite way and do a horror comedy, where you focus your attention more on the, the horror side and then just add some jokes in there, then it's 
easier because the comedy can be the the release of tension in between scary scenes this they're trying to like use this booby trapped mansion like the like people i was thinking about people under the st- what's that i was thinking about people under the stairs yeah, that's more hot. Yeah, that's, that's more horror that's more comedy. horror comedy. But then they also had the same type of booby trap house. Yeah. And they did it in a better way. Oh, for sure. There there are certain contraptions in here and from, you know, what we read on, you know, various interviews or whatever, it seems like sometimes some of the gags like the um the train that was added to the dinner table. Yeah. Um that was not necessarily in the original script. It was like more like a spur of the moment thing. It's like, oh hey, we could do this. I thought, yeah. I think and then they just Dan wrote Aykroyd like a gag around like, it. Yeah, yeah, because I think they were trying because they're all people in comedy. Just everyone in it, except for maybe like Demi, Demi Moore. Moore. Yeah. And I think Dan Aykroyd was like, yeah, just kind of like wing it and do more of an improv with almost everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I, I read about the background of it. One is that they were trying to, like, they went and saw a Hellraiser movie. Yeah. And that they got inspired by that because the audience was laughing at it. Like, oh, well, we could do a combination of that. Um, the other thing is that Dan Aykroyd, while he did direct it, it was kind of just the only way that this movie was going to be made because no other director was taking it on. Uh-huh. And the studio wanted something, and this is a good way to like cut costs because, you know, you have the writer and the director is also starring in it. That's good. Less people to pay. Um, so he didn't have any experience. This was his di- directorial debut, and also the only thing he's done. Um, I don't know if this completely soured him on the idea of directing or you know whatever. It didn't. He, he wore too many hats because he played a dual role in this on, on top of everything else. Oh, he played like... Yeah, he was playing two roles. With heavy makeup. Yeah, so it's weird to have that. Yeah. And so, then also direct while wearing this... Like someone directing you while wearing all this Yeah, while this wearing makeup. the Bobo costume. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? That would be... Like imagine. Yeah. I don't know. Like, but, I, I'm, I'm sitting done. here feeling sorry for Demi Moore. She held her own. Yeah, I, she did fine, but she's surrounded by, like, all this wackiness. Yeah. So, I mean, he did the best that he could, considering the situation, I think. Um, but it shouldn't have necessarily gotten this far. I mean, the finished script, what we saw on the screen, is more of, like, an outline of a of what could be a good movie. You know, like... Yeah. You, the idea of having like this wacky house with all kinds of like switches and and secret panels and like different elements of whatever and and crazy creatures and and death devices that sounds cool and interesting but it just doesn't really do much you have like the the slide down the stairs you have the bone stripper roller coaster thing which they show a couple different times you have the moat but there's nothing like in the moat. You just get wet. And it smells bad. And it smells bad. And they make a joke, which, I mean, I don't get the joke, but it kind of made me laugh where the the brother's sister, they were like, oh, it smells like Sao Paulo. Mm. 
And then later on, someone else said, oh, this smells like soap. I'm like, does Sao Paulo smell? <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, it did make me laugh. Yeah, a nice little callback. Because, yeah, the, the um, yeah, the, the brother and sister are from Brazil. Brazil. So, uh, yeah. Or at least the characters are. Yeah. Not, not the actors. Um, but I think there's, like, a rough outline of, like, here's, like, a good structure, but then they don't really build in the jokes around it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It, like, it's like it's like Hudson Hawk, where I see the potential for a good movie here. Yeah. But I think Hudson Hawk was more fun because you could see the actors having more fun. It was a little bit more. You can tell that it was gonna be a cheesy movie. Yeah. This one, I don't know. You could almost like feel like the strained movie making in this. You yeah, know, it, they're it like felt like it was a labor. Like they're production. forcing comedy on you. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because of inexperience from the director side of Dan Aykroyd, or if it wasn't, you know, that the, the script wasn't fully fleshed out, even though you have all these people who have a good comedic mind coming together. There weren't a whole lot of actual full-on jokes. It was, it was a lot of situational humor. It wasn't, like, set-up punchline. Yeah. And that's, that's a problem. And then, like, even at the end, where it's cartoony again with the yeah, like the, 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 the very last very shot. last shot with Chevy Chase going making a a human, a, size. a human size hole in the wall and running and that that's like very Looney Tunes Bun, Bugs Bunny which is ending. virtually the only time that that happens yeah so it, it lacks the identity that it needs to have it was um it was a fascinating train wreck of a movie, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't bored. I was just kind of like flabbergasted a bit. <laughs> but at the same time I wasn't I don't know, Hudson Hawk made me say, but why a lot more? It's like, well why the fuck would that happen? Like why would you do that? I didn't get that from nothing but trouble. Like the plot progression made sense. You know, them trying to escape, the judge doing whatever he's doing, John Candy's character doing whatever they're doing. Everyone's character and motivations made sense. But it just wasn't, like, funny or scary. Yeah. Hudson Hawk was just like, well, what the fuck is that chicken scene about? You know? Like, there's, like, all kinds of, like, wacky, off-the-wall yeah. crap that happened in Hudson Hawk. But that was still somehow more entertaining than this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so much potential with the fun house, and they just, I don't know. I guess it's not meant to be, like, a fun house. It's just, like, there's conveyor belts, and there's trap doors, and there's, yeah, you know, the... secret rooms, and, and death pits. Yeah, and, and... and you see, they go into, like, certain rooms where there's just, like, bones everywhere. Yeah, bones, and, and it's like, very... one that's just, like, full of bats. Yeah, and it's very obvious that they look like fake bones. Like, they don't look like human bones. Like, even in People in Their Stairs, where it was, like, when they were, when the kids were climbing through the walls or whatever, trying to hide from that couple, it, that was scarier, because it was, like, all dark. And then when you did see dead bodies, it looked like a literal dead body. This looked like um, 
in nothing but trouble it looked like a ride that you would go on in like disney world in the 80s or or earlier honestly like it's i think 80s had probably better rides than what you saw but (laughs) But... yeah it's like a children's roller coaster and then it just does a couple little hills but and then it leads into a bunch of pistons that are supposed to like chop you up and spit you out with like stripping your bones. The scariest it's, it's thing bone is stripper. that bone crusher, but they don't show it being scary, you know. No, they show them going into the mouth, and then they show another shot the of the bones, bones coming out. Popping out, you don't actually see any mangling or whatever, and that's and then, probably to avoid the R. They might have had some yeah, shots, but I guess so. But also, I mean, having those special effects that would add Could've to an already inflated budget scarier. That, and then it, it made me think of, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Didn't he sure. use stuff like that? Yeah, there are similar devices. And they're sc- scary. <laughs> but, but again, that's, like, that's one that's like horror first with yeah. a little bit of humor. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, like that bone... I the bone stripper thing was cool, but they could have like Yeah, it didn't look leveled. menacing though. Like, you know, even the shot like of of the pistons the mouse coming up going and down, up and, and, down. And, and clamping, like that doesn't look like it's actually gonna like That's hurt why you they that need much. to like elevate it up a little bit to make it scarier. Yeah. And then when Chevy Chase went through it and he kinda was like um just sort of running up the conveyor belt a little bit and then all of a sudden the whole thing like collapses in like two seconds Uh it was just like some janky ass carnival ride thing yeah i don't know it's just it wasn't scary i wanted to see literal bone stripping i guess yeah i mean you could have had like blood dripping from the spikes or something like that you could have actually had the spikes like, like showing touch. like literal because when the bones because they don't spe- even like they don't form like a complete mouth there's like this big gap in yeah. between it and stuff like that how so, does it mash down people into like clean bone yeah if it barely like connects it doesn't uh, connect i'm just like so spending yeah. too much time but it's emblematic of the whole whole thing it's, yeah you know there's a lot of these things that are supposed to be scary or intimidating but the atmosphere is just off and it comes off like a terrible carnival attraction instead and then you get like weird things that just get introduced three quarters of the way through like bobo and little devil (laughs) who are these grotesque mutated mutant twin baby things they're yeah they they wear diapers and basically nothing else they um they're supposed to be like the inbred yeah like inbred offspring of the i don't know the judge like they're his he's like the grandfather of john candy you know right of dennis and eldonna so I'm assuming he's also the grandfather of Bobo and Lil Devil. Like they, I don't know what their relation is to who. I literally don't know because yeah. they don't really. They but, don't say. They just they say they're not allowed in the house. Yeah, like they were born looking like they were. I don't know. Mutated. Mutated, but not really. They just. 
they, well, they're, they're, they're bald. They look like, I don't know. It's like they grew up, the babies grew up and still were babies, but they're like 34-year-old men or something. They look like a, like a bald, like baby Huey type who are like just perpetually oily and sweaty wet and, and, and shitting themselves for forever. And they have like giant guts. They, they kind of like they their heads kind of look like sloth from the Goonies. Yeah, that's what I was getting sloth from the Goonies vibe because they like when Demi Moore happens upon them, like in Goonies, when Chunk happens upon sloth, right? You're scared because he's like a monster, right? But but just like sloth, these are just they're just like big dummies, dumb nice guys yeah they don't know anything they don't know anything they know that you know intruders are probably going to be killed but then they also want to like play with them be friends yeah and that's like i was thinking like what was the whole reason of them but just for that part for demi Moore to like become friends with them and for them to sort of help i think it's also just to have her not get to escape right because like at that point she's able to leave the mansion and she's out in the junkyard and trying to find a way out and Mm -hmm. then comes across these two people who then entrap her again yeah but so it's just another way to like invent a reason to keep her on the premises yeah and then they're like well we like you we want to keep you as like our plaything, basically right and when she's like, oh, but I still have to leave. Like, she's trying to be charming and trying to get them to help her. The whole the whole character of Diane... Yeah. ...is, I think... I don't know if it's underdeveloped or the script changed so much that we don't really know what the hell's going on with her. She's extremely manipulative in all of her dealings. Which I thought was going to factor into something, and it doesn't. Um, other than getting she's her a involved lawyer. in the whole situation, you think that's all it is? Is that she's a lawyer, and so she has to be manipulative? That's what I. Because she's always just like, just be quiet and let me handle it. Like as if a lawyer talking someone out of anything would work. Well, I also thought I was like, okay, well I, here I am. I'm a beautiful woman. You're a jackass. Let me sweet talk this old man. Because I'm pretty. Right. And also, also I'm, a and lawyer. also, I'm smarter than you. Yeah. Right. Um, which, I mean, which is you true. know, the judge is like, I can see through you, and he's like, all right, well, fuck you, you're gonna. Well, I also. mean, she was trying to do it, and yeah. then like, but Chevy Chase's, Chevy Chase's character Chase's would char- always like shoehorn something, and then that's when, yeah, and say something so like, shitty or stupid. So it's starting to work, and then Chevy yeah. Chase's character just ruins it. Right. But I think. I don't know what what kind of bugged me about it is like, you know, there's that part where they're trapped in that room with the bed that eventually like spins around a bunch or whatever. Uh huh. And she seduces Chris Thorne, Chevy Chase's character, and I didn't know what the purpose of that was because I don't, I never got any sort of actual romantic feelings between the two. She was using him to get a car to go to this landfill deal. Which was like the whole impetus yeah, of the plot, like, and then just goes Atlantic to shit. City. Um, and you know that's like never mentioned again after 
a while. Um, but then, I don't know, like, so, like, they're, they're not really, like, trying to be, rom- or she's not really trying to be romantic with him, but he's trying to be romantic with her. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, she does, like, some seductive stuff, and I don't know why. And then even at the end... They're, like, in a relationship. Well, not only that, but also, like, when they do escape the whole compound, and they go to the cops, and the cops are suggesting that they go back in, Diane was, like, way too into the idea of doing that. It was like, yeah, yeah let's, was let's like... go, let's do this, let's catch these people. It was like, yeah, let's go up and ring the doorbell instead of having the cops do it. I thought she was in on this whole thing. Oh. You know, like, like she was, like, so adamant about this. And, like, that was, like, the one time where Chris was, like, the voice of reason. It's like, no, we escaped. We don't want to go back to that compound. But Diane's like, no, yeah, we should go back to the compound. I think she just wanted to see justice be served or something on these people. I guess. But. But in my mind, it's like, okay, well, every action that she had almost indicated some sort of ulterior motive. Yeah. Because she had, like, crocodile tears at certain points and things like that. And. I don't know. Like it just seemed like there was more bubbling on the inside that never actually made its way onto the screen. Meanwhile, you have John Candy as a dual role, mm-hmm. where part of him leaves like halfway through the movie. Um, His male, the, the, the side. male side. Yeah, we should say okay. It's actually two different characters. He is actually a dual role. It's not like a male side and female side of the yeah. same person is two different people played by the same actor so the dennis character is the one who brings him in he's the grand son of dan Aykroyd's judge he stands to inherit the entire town but he doesn't like how the judge is running it he thinks he's way too strict with the whole murdering people for virtually nothing angle um but once the judge dies, it would be his. Um, and then there's Eldana, who we get introduced to about halfway through the movie, at dinner, with the the train set and everything, where they're having Hawaiian punch and ants on a log, as their appetizer before the uh, the hot dog the hot dogs stuff comes around. And Eldana, I don't think says a single word. No, she's mute. He says she's specifically mute. Um, which I guess... Well, could, probably because John Candy cannot do, like, a female voice. Or he, or maybe he, it would I, just I be too funny. I think he has plenty of times on SCTV, though. Maybe he just didn't want to. Maybe. And then having... Or maybe they thought it would be funnier to have her just mime all the stuff. Yeah, but then I think the reason why... knowing glances or whatever. They didn't want to show... It probably would have been too much money to show him as... Eldana and Dennis together so many times besides that um, dinner right. scene. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're largely separate. They're, there's only like one, maybe two shots where they're actually in the same scene. Yeah. So, you know, sort of like a double impact thing where they really limit the, <laughs> the, the yeah. dual screen yeah. time of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, but they do it a different way in that they take Dennis out of the picture completely because he runs away with um, the, the, the brother sister the duo. Ronaldo and Fausto. I don't know how to say their the... Squirinizu. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. If Even ever... like the judge didn't know how to say it. So yeah. Um, we can get back to them in a second. But 
Yeah, so, and, so then Eldana is just there just as a silent character, antagonist, whatever. And the joke is, oh, look at how gross this person is. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. And, you know, oh, you touched her, so you get to have her. Like, you have to marry her now. Um, it didn't add a lot. I don't know. I think I would have rather have seen the the female deputy character get more screen time be yeah. a little bit more involved in the plot because I think that that actress Valerie Bromfeld who played Miss Miss Perda who's not actually like mentioned by name but that's how that's how she's yeah I mean she's credits. a cousin of theirs because she does say cousin at some point okay but yeah she's like the other one and she's like whole hog into the whole thing it's like, yeah, yeah she's, let's, into, let's punish. she's like hardcore like yeah I want to see people die yeah she she was really good in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would have liked to see more of that rather than John Candy female role. Eldana thing, which didn't really... I don't know. It wasn't as funny as they thought it was going to be, I guess. And, and But yeah, it, it is full of comedians. Like Valerie, she was, you know, another SCTV person, right? Like she, she wrote for that show. She was in those improv classes and, you know shows with these people as well um so and then you have people like Bertilla Damas and Taylor Negron who played the brother sister in Alda and Falso yeah they they're also very much you know in those communities um and Demi Moore is like the the one odd person out who's coming straight off of her success from Ghost and (laughs) thankfully this didn't derail her career too much but no, which I mean, it could, could have. I don't know. Yeah, I, it. I think it definitely helped um, steer Dan Aykroyd's career on the the wrong path. Chevy Chase's for a while as well on the wrong path. So it, it's tough to say. Um, but yeah, Taylor and Bertilla as Falso and Ronaldo, they are basically like hangers on. They are leeching off of Chris Thorne who's like this mega rich financial advisor type um, yeah and, and you know he, he has like this big party without him even knowing that he's having a party and everyone's like showing up to his place and stuff and they they overhear a conversation at the very beginning where Demi Moore is saying hey I need to borrow your car in her second conversation ever with Chris saying hey can I borrow your car to go to Atlantic City Mm-hmm. Like what? Where did that come from? <laughs> so, um, and, and he's like, "Well, I'll just drive you," because he's trying to hit on her. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they're like, "Oh, we're going on a trip. Let's go on a trip. Let's go on a trip." And yeah, so they, they all see them go somewhere, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, we'll come with you." And so they they just leech on to things because they right. They don't have a whole lot of purpose other than like the egg on the whole like running away from the cops thing. Faust is like, yeah. It, fuck this guy like you can you can beat it like just punch on the gas let's get away from these people um but that's about all they are good for <laughs> i don't know they're they're there to be like comic relief but again they don't get to have jokes literally, literally my favorite joke is like this smells like sao paulo <laughs> okay i mean and i don't i don't know why yeah 
I feel like there was a good joke, but I don't remember it anymore. There's like, um, there's like a lot of, I mean, a lot of the times where, I mean, when they get into that town and there are signs that say no cussing. Yeah. Or there's like the billboard of like, these people should have listened. And it's like a bunch of like dead bodies with the cops standing over them. Right. Like Like seeing stuff like that. It's, it's, it's like highway to hell-ish. Yeah. And then when they do see that sign that says no cussing, they're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. they cuss automatically. It's like, well, shit. Yeah. And then it's, like, tiny little jokes. Yeah. Yeah, very little tiny moments where they're able to inject some humor in there. It's sadly. And as they're going around the town, by the way, you have, like, Dan and Peter Aykroyd's dad in there, as well as Dan's daughter, Danielle as one of the porch people. And then also Isaac Tigret is there, who is the uh, the co-owner of Hard Rock Cafe and House of Blues that he founded with Dan Aykroyd in 1992. Mm-hmm. So, um, little tidbit of trivia there for you. It's also like a little tiny scene where you have Daniel Baldwin here in his second movie of our podcast. Yeah, who's uh, with like this. With another car of four people who get pulled over for whatever, and they're... They're just like partying and they're obviously drunk and also on drugs or whatever. But that's just a way to show that, yes, they are serious about killing people. Right. And that, yes, okay, you you did a little bit of drunk driving and so your punishment is all four of you are dead now. Well, then they, John Candy, or Officer Dennis is like, and we also found like all these guns and drugs in the car. Right, yeah. So... What do you want to do about it? And he's like, okay, instant death. Yeah. And but they're also making fun of him like hardcore. Yeah, the, the four of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, because I mean, he is grotesque, right? They they make him into yeah. This they're like, really... oh, you're so like they're just making fun of him a lot, and he's just sitting there like kind of like egging him on, laughing along with them. He's like, okay, well, you're gonna go die now. And, but they're still kind of laughing. They're like, yeah, haha, whatever. Right. Until two seconds when they're on the bone stripper, and then they're dead in 30 seconds. And then they're done. Yep. But I mean, and then the next group that gets pulled over is the digital underground. <laughs> so that's such a weird scene. It felt like they, it existed just to pad out the movie length. Mm-hmm. Because it's just a moment in time, and then it's basically done. Um, I had to look up, like, why is Digital Underground in this movie? Like, how did this come to be? Yeah. And the answer is pretty simple. Dan Aykroyd wanted them to be in the movie. Yeah. And said, hey, would you like to do a song for this thing we're doing? And then we'll we'll shoot uh, whatever. And it's as simple as that. Like, they're coming off their success of, like, the Humpty Dance, whatever. Dan Aykroyd's, like, really into the music. He's, uh, you know, like, he, he's, like, a fan of, of that. Of <laughs> the Humpty Dance, yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean, just, yeah, like... Of that. Of, of them, and, yeah. So he's... And he has, like, the history of, like, bringing in other black artists into other pictures of his and stuff like that. So it's, like, something that he, like, he purposely, like, seeks out to do. And so he's like, well let's see if they'll go for it and and they went for it right um and then they created like the best thing to come out of this movie is 
which is same, same song. song, which I, it's a good song. Yeah. And it, then it's I honestly, remember, I'd say it's their second best. Besides Humpty Dance? Yeah. And then, um, I remember the video. The video is basically that portion yeah, it just turn like the movie turns into a partial music video, video. where they, they do yeah. the first two. Because I remember watching the video, and it's just basically those five minutes of that song. Because I think they play the majority of that song, not the whole, you know. Yeah, they don't in this because, like I said, they they do like the first two verses. Right. Yeah, but then um, and then you it, have yeah, obviously like Tupac like, is is there and he does a verse and I think um uh, you know there's there's another small little um, half verse from another person as well. I, I don't know all the members' names, but because um, there's like twenty people in that entire group. Yeah. But um, yeah, they only do like the first two in the movie, but the the basic thing is oh they get pulled over um, and they claim that they're musicians trying to get to a gig and he's like oh you're musicians huh and he's, he's like okay well, well prove it yeah and then and they're, they're setting up show. all their stuff they got like all these like synthesizers and whatever like the DJ equipment yeah and then you have the the ladies dancing around yeah and then um, the big kicker joke of the whole situation is that the judge has you know another An one of the contraptions is like he has like this organ that pops up behind the, the desk and he's just jamming out going with them yeah and and the girls are dancing behind him and stuff and so here's like this monster looking thing with like flesh falling off of his right. face right and, and he's into it and he's like yeah look at me jamming like that's, that's and that's the how you sweet thing. talk this judge because he's like okay you guys are all right yeah, you're, you're free to go yeah you're talented musicians you're free to go and, but, but they do meanwhile, stick around for the wedding and do like the the, the tie the knot song. Oh yeah, <laughs> which which I was like, <laughs> we should have played that at our wedding. Just <laughs> yeah. tie the knot, tie tie the knot. Yeah. Like if we <laughs> <laughs> renewing vows and put it on there. It's just, like I I want to find that. It's probably just like a one minute thing. But yeah. I, I would have played that. That yeah. would have been hilarious. But, like, meanwhile, like, while those people are being tried, quote-unquote, before the judge, that's, like, Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase is, like, looking through, like, the judge's room. Because that's how, you know, going through all these, like, slides and whatever the fuck, he ends up in the judge's room at some behind point. Behind it. Yeah, like he's... Behind he's, it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's behind seeing, the wall, seeing through a hole... He's seeing the judge, like, getting ready for bed and stuff. But then, you know, the judge is awoken because these people were... Because they were pulled over. Pulled over at, like, whatever, midnight or whatever. And yeah. the judge has to, like, put all his face back together just to go back down. Yeah, to, probably like, the scariest part about that movie, honestly. Is was like, him taking his nose off? Is him taking his nose off and revealing nothing else underneath it. Yeah, that's gross, yeah. Um, by the way, it is a cock nose. Yeah. They they show it. It's not very obvious in most shots, but when he's eating the hot dog, and he gives Chevy Chase like this knowing like little wink, or whatever. Right. Like, like it's, yeah, it's very a, obvious. And, I have a cock nose. And possibly like, possibly a slightly different prosthetic to make it more obvious. Um, but there's like a couple scenes where you can definitely tell it's meant to be like a little tiny penis. Um, and then he also takes off his leg whatever but yeah um 
Because I mean, he's like 109 or something like that. Something like that, yeah. But anyway, two people with fake noses, right? You got Humpty with his fake nose, and then you got the judge with his fake nose. Anyway, a bunch of stuff happens. They're, they're trying to, like, escape and, and whatever. And eventually, like, the place explodes because Chevy Chase is able to, like, set fire to these barrels in the yard. And he's able to, like, get a good enough distraction to blow up things before Diane's character is, like, about to be chopped up in some little other machinery or whatever. Yeah, there's, like... There's so much garbage that happens in this. <clears throat> yeah. So they eventually escape, but then the area underneath the house, they mention it sort of throughout the movie. Like, there's this coal fire business yeah dealy and then there's like an earthquake like if an earthquake happens we're ruined and that's what happens it destroys that town well that's at the very end yeah like they they escape the immediate danger by him setting barrels on fire and causes the explosion and then they're able to escape. To go to the know. FBI. And then, yeah, they go to the cops. They they hop on the train and the deputy shoots at them or whatever. Um, and then the cops all come back. So there's, like, this big, huge swarm of, like, bunch, a bunch of police officers. And then, basically, like, an earthquake comes and, like, fires and, and it swallows up yeah, the entire that, mansion. And then that scene is, like, clue because... The... More, like, poltergeist, I don't know. Doesn't the house get sucked into the ground and poltergeist? No, I'm thinking about Clue, where, like, the FBI... The, even the whole thing with, like, Jimmy Hoffa and stuff. Yeah, that's the kind of humor you get, is, like, this very obvious Jimmy Hoffa joke when they see all these IDs of people who have disappeared. Yeah, like, oh, and Jimmy then... Jimmy Hoffa, I wonder what happened to him. Yeah, and what? he even... Like, it was... The judge killed him. Right. That's what it's seen from, like, whatever room that me and Chevy Chase were in at some point. They see like all these IDs for like the past 100 years or something. Yeah. And but at that point when Chevy Chase and Demi Moore go to the FBI to convince them to like arrest the, the judge it's they're in on it. The, when they knock on the door the judge is like surprise turn around and all the cops are and fbi have guns on them yeah chevy like, chase hey, and, yeah the demi and chevy chase and yeah. chris and diane i should say and they're like oh well we don't approve of uh his methods but we can't argue with the results and so they're like yeah oh. they're all like that type of jokey haha but it's like whatever funny to them but not to us <laughs> yeah and that's when that earthquake happens and then they're able to escape again but like a lot of the cops die and like the deputy person's on the toilet and so she sinks into the hell while she's yeah. peeing or pooping or whatever um and then you see and then there's like, like a report at the end yeah well yeah the report at the end but then you also see the Ronaldo and Fausto in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, they assume that they're dead because everyone else is dead. But what happened is Dennis took them up on their offer to run away from the whole situation. Right, because they're like, oh, are you into timeshares and whatever? 
and we'll take you to an exotic location. And I'm assuming it's Brazil. And you see Officer Dennis is married to Ronaldo. And he's now head of security of their operation over there. Yeah. And happy ending for those three. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess Diane and, and Chris get together after all, like shared trauma, romance, something right. or other. Uh, but he sees a news report where the uh, the reporter is interviewing uh, the judge, yeah. yeah, like interviewing somebody. It's like, oh, hey, I guess there's somebody who made it out of the wreckage. Let's interview this person, and he, and it turns out to be the judge who is still alive. And he's like, I'm gonna go live with my friend Chris. No, he's like, I'm gonna live with my new grandson-in-law. Yeah, there, yeah, that's right. Because he's because he's technically married to Aldana. married to Aldana. And he has um, Chris's driver's license or something. Doesn't he show it? Yeah, yeah, he does. And then he's like, yeah, my grandson-in-law that lives in New York. And that's when you see the Bugs Bunny hole in the wall. (laughs) And credits. And then you have same song again. Yeah, at least you have the full same song with all all of the lyrics and verses. It's one of those, like, bad movies that you kind of, like, I wouldn't mind it being remade. I don't I don't want this remade. But I mean, I don't know. It's like too many people remake good movies and then just make them worse. This is like the type of thing where there's enough Has there anyone... that it could be remade into something better. Has anyone remade a bad movie? Virtually never. Because there's the stigma of the bad movie attached to it. But I'm just saying that's what should be remade. Why remake good movies? It's already freaking good. Well, because they want to make their version of their own good movie. I'm just saying Peter Jackson ruined King Kong and completely missed the point. Oh, well, yeah. That was, that <laughs> like, was not good. He, uh, he reversed the purpose of the movie. Anyway. It, There's so many remakes that are not great. That's my point. Like, you can make a... a like a mediocre movie better by remaking it. You can yeah, make a bad I, movie I know. decent by remaking it. I know, but it's just like these people want to make their vision of it. I'm just saying all those To people make it are, good somehow. They're just wrong. All those people are wrong. What's a good remake? There are some good remakes. I don't know. <laughs> but. <laughs> I mean, like, the 1939 Wizard of Oz is technically a remake. You know, so there are good remakes. This one had like a couple things going for it. One is like the the character actors were good, surrounding character actors were fine. You have a good song in there, and also the makeup. I will give good credit to like the props and the makeup and, and all the different contraptions, contraptions yeah, the, and devices. The the house. Those largely looked good, except I didn't like the bone crusher. I think that could have been more menacing. But I want to mention the makeup by David B. Miller specifically because it was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Makeup. Lost to Silence of the Lambs, which um, I don't remember well enough what kind of makeup is I done I guess on like that, the ripping off of the face of that one guy. Maybe. The, but there wasn't too, There wasn't a lot of different work going on here. There wasn't too much that needed to be like gory in that movie. Yeah. So anyway, David B. Miller got a nomination. It was a good job. He's done things like Beastmaster, Swamp Thing, Mutant, Nightmare on Elm Street, including the 1991 movie that we watched, Freddy's Dead. And he also had a a hand in the Thriller video from Michael Jackson. 
So uh, we'll see his work again in One Good Cop, and then also he uh, did the puppetry work for The Thing in Adam's Family. So good on you, Mr. Miller. I mean, obviously it was a box office bomb. Uh, it went way over budget. They kept on like adding more stuff right. and it more was contractions just like, and gadgets, and then which inflated it was the money like spent. Too much where like Dan Aykroyd wanted to spend more but couldn't. Like he spent forty million, and then the box office was only eight million. Yeah. But I think he wanted to spend more. I mean, he did offer the script to John Hughes, and John Hughes turned it down because he. He was like, I only direct my own scripts. Right, which and, makes sense. Yeah, and then John Landis didn't like the script and turned it down as well. Which also makes sense. Uh-huh. Obviously, Oscar is better, right? Uh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he thought so. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, oh, John Landis? Yeah. Uh, like, but, yeah, I don't know. And then also with... um like the critics like Robert Roger Ebert hated obviously hated this movie that he refused to write a review but at mm. least he saw it not I'm, like Mediterraneo where he walked out yeah he saw the whole thing i i know that they did a tv segment on it at least i didn't mm-hmm. watch it well, but, he gave but it they, a, but they, they both did, gave it a thumbs down but they did not do like a paper review yeah sometimes yeah i mean the only awards aside from the razzie and stinker's bad movie award where it won best picture or worst picture was that saturn nomination for for makeup so that's like the one positive award that it was nominated for in this whole thing um I'm sure, you know, there are some people who support this movie. I mean, like I said, like, I can understand why, I don't know, like, maybe somebody who saw it in childhood would have a little bit of, like, respect for it because it is so off the wall. You know, it is very unusual and the gadgets and whatever are, you know, cool enough. Like, so I, I listened to the last podcast on the left and... They, all three of the guys love this movie. They always, like, talk about it in random episodes. And that's what kind of how they bonded is through this movie. So I can see, I mean, then they're around our age. So, but me growing up, I didn't love this movie. I remember watching it and I was like, what the hell am I watching? I mean, but yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can get it from like the counterculture part of it, right? Like it's, it's so different than what you would expect from a movie. You it's don't like, see, like so these... off the like. Yeah. I don't want to say Rocky Horror Picture Show in a way or something. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I get the idea behind what you're saying with that. I just don't. I don't know. Like it's a cult movie now, where there are people that find this movie fascinating (laughs) i mean i found it fascinating too i just didn't find it enjoyable so i think that's the big difference we can go over some of the uh the awards here and then a little bit of the cast and crew it was a razzie winner for worst supporting actor for dan Aykroyd. also nominated for worst picture but lost to hudson hawk 
And then Worst Actress, Demi Moore. Worst Supporting Actress for John Candy. Uh, worst Director, Worst Screenplay nominations as well. Like I said, it won the St Stinker's Bad Movie Award over Hudson Hawk, I guess, whatever. Um, cast crew, we talked about Dan Aykroyd a little bit when we uh, dealt with My Girl. Um, but yeah, writer of SNL, Blues Brothers, Coneheads, Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Dragnet. In the acting side, he was in that Yogi Bear thing from a few years back where Justin Timberlake played Boo Boo, Dan Aykroyd no, played Yogi Bear. Uh, he's, you know, done TV show Soul Man, Tommy Boy, Exit of Eden, My Stepmother's an Alien, and Trading Places. So a nice little mix of good and bad there. Peter Aykroyd did the story of this um, along with Dan. He played Mike the Doorman. So that's, that's Dan's brother, Peter. He has an Emmy nomination for SNL. Um, and then also has worked on PSI Factor, Chronicles of the Paranormal, which was a TV series that lasted for about two seasons or so uh, that he did with his brother as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Chevy Chase as Chris Thorne, Emmy winner for writing SNL, also winning for doing a Paul Simon special, uh, as well as a supporting actor win for SNL. Uh, Golden Globe nominated for Foul Play, Razzie nominated for Vacation and Hot Tub Time Machine 2, The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee, which I don't didn't know was a thing. Uh, it's about Paul Hogan, the guy who played Crocodile Dundee. It's like a more recent movie. Like a documentary? No, it's like a pseudo thing. Oh, um, Nick Cage? Nick Cage. Yeah, the... It, it's something like that except for Paul Hogan, I think. Oh, okay. Which is weird. It came out like a couple years ago. Anyway, Razzie nomination for Chevy Chase for appearing in that. Uh, stinker nominations for Man of the House. He also has a 1997 win for the Lifetime Hall of Shame from the Stinkers. Um, so, yeah. But he has been in some good stuff like Caddyshack and Three Amigos, the Vacation Movies, Fletch, Community. Uh, John Candy we've talked about a few different times. We'll still see him in two more 1991 movies, Only the Lonely and JFK. He has a little bit part in that. Demi Moore, Emmy nominated for If These Walls Could Talk as a producer, also Golden Globe uh, nomination for acting in that same production Golden Globe nominated for Ghost she'll be in the 1991 movies Mortal Thoughts and The Butcher's Wife a lot of Stinkers noms and Razzie nominations as well Indecent Proposal, Scarlet Letter, The Juror and Striptease and Passion of Mind um, also Razzie winner for Juror and Striptease, G.I. Jane, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle and also MTV Movie Award winner for Best Kiss for Indecent Proposal Nominated for Best Performance in Few Good Men, in um, Indecent Proposal, Best Villain for Disclosure, a whole bunch of different stuff. Anyway, um, I think that's about it in terms of the cast and crew, except for we can talk about Tupac really quickly, because mm -hmm. he's really the only person from Digital Underground who had like a Speaking acting role, career. Yeah. He didn't even speak in this movie, I don't think. Yeah, did he? He, did. he, he said what, like, oh wow? Or when, man, that guy can groove or something like that. Yeah, he was the one that was like speaking in the beginning when they first get uh, into the like judge room or whatever. Okay, I I I just knew that Shock G I think did most of the talking. Over. Yeah. But anyway, Tupac went on to have a, a decent acting career on top of his rap career. Uh, 
the following year he would be in Juice. He was in one episode of Drexel's Class, which we've mentioned a few different times, where he played himself. Interesting. Uh, he's been in Poetic Justice, Above the Rim, Bullet, Gridlocked, Gang Related, and that's about where things ended because he was, uh, as we know, murdered. I mean, he was a good actor. He was a good actor, yeah. Didn't get to show it all that much in this, but, you know, Juice is where he I mean, really started Ju- Yeah, the and then Poetic Justice. I really liked that movie, and I liked him in it, and I liked Janet Jackson in it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Taylor Negron and Bertilla DeMoss are in several other 1991 movies, so we won't get into them right now. So we can move on to true crime and pop culture. Not much. Tr- I'm not going to talk about true crime but this movie was released on february 15th 1991 which was a friday which by the way we almost missed out on having to cover this because it was supposed to be an october 1990 movie they right. got pushed back because of all the recuts and edits and yeah stuff like that. yeah so so we almost got to avoid it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like what i mentioned earlier like we this was a while ago, but we listened from the last podcast on the left. I remember listening to an episode of theirs years ago. It was like four-ish years ago. And I remember they finally got to talk to Dan Aykroyd. And all three of them were like hardcore fanboying over it because of this movie. But then also because Dan Aykroyd is hardcore into like ufology yeah, and like alien sightings and that, up, I mean, then I, we, stuff, I yeah. just re-listened to it again and it was very interesting. But then, you know, also Dan Aykroyd has to like put in a little ad or a little jab for his skull his crystal skull vodka like every oh, yeah. 20 minutes or something he's a businessman like he's he's doing really well for himself he doesn't need to do that right. kind of thing but, but at the same what time, he like... was talking what dan Aykroyd was talking about with like a lot of people like the conspiracy theories because he had his own show that was i think um, that was that psi factor that peter uh worked on yeah, and he talked about how there were, quote, men in black coming after him. And then he was saying that when he came back inside from seeing those, quote, men in black, his show was automatically canceled. I, I'll say this about the, the interview. is like, it's easy to say, oh, I don't know, like, obviously he's making things up to, to suit his purposes or to suit his narrative, blah, blah, blah. I think he he really, especially in that interview, comes off as being like, yes, I'm definitely a believer, but I also understand skepticism. Like, I I get it. I understand the entertainment value of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not like, I don't know. It was a nice, like, nuanced, balanced take on everything that he was saying. It's like, yeah, I get it. I understand all these different theories of the whole situation. And this is what I choose to believe after being presented with all the information. Yeah. Which is something you don't see from a lot of people who follow the like the UFOs or stuff. who get really ingrained in that in that culture. He's like, he's almost on the outside looking in, but he also has his set belief. He's yeah, like, this, you also this have is too like, coincidental to be a coincidence, and this is what I'm choosing to believe. 
Yeah, and then you kind of also have, I mean, I don't know much about what, like, because I know Tom DeLonge is, like, hardcore into that, too. But yeah, there's quite a few people. Like, Dave Foley, I think, is also getting really into it now. Yeah. Like, he's in so, so, some other people. It's like, I don't know much. I just know that the interview was, like, very interesting, because I've heard interviews with Dan Aykroyd before with other people, and all he does is try to push his crystal crystal skull vodka. Yeah. Which, I mean, he still sort of did. But at least, like, the guys in last podcast were, like... Because they're all, like, hardcore into, like, conspiracy theories and, you know, aliens sure. and whatever. So they were all excited to, like, ask all these questions. So, I mean, I... I'll give a link to the episode because yeah. it's interesting. There's not, a, there's not a lot about this movie. That's right. Yeah, lot. there's not... To, I mean, we already said what we needed to say about this movie. It's not based on anything. No. I will say, like, he does blame the failure of this movie on what I would consider to be, like, misogynistic <laughs> opinions. Uh-huh. It's like, well, all the girlfriends were going to take their boyfriends to go see Silence of the Lambs and... Right. And, uh, well, because this was the released... Enemy, because this was, you know... This was released around the same time as those movies, and they're right. huge movies. It's like, oh yeah, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was like all the women forcing their guys to go see it. That's exactly the reason why it failed. It wouldn't possibly be because Silence of the Lambs was like the, really critically well received yeah. best movie of the year type of material and maybe they Sleeping wanted to see the enemy something that they knew like would a... be good as opposed to the hit or miss comedy which right. didn't look great from the, the commercial we saw yeah the trailer we watched didn't look like it would be a good marketing tool right. or something so yeah it couldn't have anything to do with the quality of those other two movies mm-hmm. no no it was the women forcing the guys to go see them instead of his <laughs> that's the kind of but he also like jokes about the stuff he's like oh yeah we came in completely under budget and everyone was super happy like yeah he was saying he was saying it, so. like so obvious that... jokes about the movie because he... so yeah that, that also could have been a joke and it just didn't land right yeah and then i will talk about the soundtrack because it has you know same song on it but then the song that played, the song Bone Stripper, at, when the Bone Stripper ride is played, yeah, that's performed by Damn Yankees. Yeah. And was I that think, a pre-existing song? No, I it think it was right? made for this. Okay. And then I think from watching like MTV and stuff, I think that the video for the Bone Stripper for the Damn Yankees song was like the that scene the scenes where people were being it, uh-huh. eaten or whatever is in their video for that as well um and then that, yeah i wasn't that, sure if the ride was named after the song or if the song was made for the probably ride. both <laughs> <laughs> but that the soundtrack was released in march 5th of 1991 and I saw like a source on allmusic.com that it received two and a half stars. But I mean, the best song on it would be Same Song. It does have Tie the Knot on there, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to buy it now? No, no yeah. thanks. <laughs> and then I was going to just say how um, the song, Same Song, <laughs> 
became very popular. Yeah. And it the song is on their they made it Digital Underground made like an EP for cuz it's not like on any of their albums. Yeah, it's in between. Yeah, so they made they made an album called This is an EP release. Uh-huh. Digital Underground and that was released January 15, 1991 and that has same song on it. It's only six songs. And it also has Tylenol on it. Okay. <laughs> so, it's only like a 33-minute like yeah. EP. Yeah. I mean, that's what an EP is. But it didn't chart or anything. The, the album, but the song did chart. And it was on the U.S. Dance Club songs, the Billboard U.S. Dance Club songs, and it peaked at number 15 in 1991. I mean, yeah, I remember... They still played on, you know... The they played on the hip-hop the channel, yeah. channels and Sirius. The Rock the Bells channel. So we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put nothing but trouble? It's going to be controversial. Controversial? <laughs> Is it going to be a four? That would be controversial. No, I'm going to give it a two. Okay, that's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Two's fine. I'm going lower though. Uh, on my zero to four star scale, I'm saying it's 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 a half. It's a half star. Okay. <laughs> Again, like it's basically like the makeup, the set design, and like a little bit of the acting is okay. The rest of it's garbage. <laughs> like it, I I wanted it to be more. I want it to be more, and it's not. So it's a half star for me. Um, every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Um, weirdly, yes, I would watch this movie again. <laughs> you can watch would, it without me. I would it's do, cool. like, if this was playing at a midnight showing somewhere and there was, like, other people, like, making fun of it along with you or something. Yeah, that's probably the only way I would watch it. But I would, if it was, like, randomly on, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll look for the digital underground segment and then I'll be done. But if it's after that, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm done then. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it on YouTube now, and I could, I could... Just watch the video. I could watch the video. I could listen to the song by itself. I don't need to possibly sit through any of this movie in order to get there. So you can, you can watch that on your own. That's fine. I'll do my own thing. Uh, but if you out there want to watch Nothing But Trouble as of this recording in March 2023, it's available on HBO, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to review, rate, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to be watching The Man in the Moon. We're away from bad movies. We're going to watch The Man in the Moon. It's on Tubi, Pluto TV, Roku Channel, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.